You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense with your host, Doug Thorpe. Here's Doug. Hello again, everyone. This is Leadership Powered by Common Sense, and I'm your host, Doug Thorpe. Today, we are going to uh, broaden our lens a little bit and talk uh, from a law perspective. I have a guest who is a practicing attorney and has some information for us with everything from branding and trademarks to intellectual property, and we will get into some hot topics that I know are on the minds of, of people in the business world. Her name is Kelly, Kelly, I'm gosh, I drew a blank last name. Jones. Jones. Oh, bingo. <laughs> and I'm having a bad morning. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, but uh, here you go, folks. We are live and uh, and and going through this. So there you go. There, that's my goof. Kelly Jones is our guest today. Kelly, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah, and I'm sure your opinion is changing rapidly. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so tell us a little bit about your background and, and what it is you are actually practicing now. Yeah, so I've been a lawyer for about 10 years uh, or almost 10 years, but I started my own firm about three years ago. And since then, I've been working primarily with business owners, practicing mostly with trademarks and contracts. So like intellectual property and business stuff for, you know, mostly just with business owners, entrepreneurs, online business owners. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's start with that key theme, you know, the um, branding and logo creation, trademarking and all of that. What, what are, what are some of the big challenges that small business owners overlook in that area? Yeah. So one of the biggest things is waiting too long to trademark. Um, because a lot of people also think that maybe, you know, trademarking is just your logo, but it's actually just even, you know, your logo is something that you can trademark, but it's typically not your priority. Typically for a lot of business owners, their business name is their main priority and you want to get ownership over that name. That way, you know, someone else doesn't pop up with a the same name or a very similar name and cause confusion for your customers. That's basically the whole point of a trademark is so people aren't confused between similar brands. And one thing, especially for small business owners, is they think it's something that they can do once they build the brand, you know, years later. But at that point, a lot of times it's too late because someone else has already trademarked either something that's the same or even something similar because things that have like a similar sound, appearance, or meaning also become an issue with the trademark office. So this is the problem people run into. And then when they get there, they likely then at that point either have to try to fight for their brand to trademark it, which, you know, if you're fighting someone else for it, the average cost is about 100000 and what small business owner has that lying around, um, or they'll have to rebrand, which, you know, depending on what type of business you are, that can also be pretty costly. Um, so it's the best thing to do is trademark as early as you can, even though it sounds you know, difficult because obviously it's it's a process, it's expensive, um, you know, and you're a small business owner, but the consequence of that is actually a lot more costly. Yeah. 
I know there's some element of trademark filing where you have to demonstrate use of the the phrase or image or whatever in in your marketing. So to me, that sounds like a chicken and egg story. So how, how does that what's the practical application of all that? Yeah, it really is. So there's two ways you can apply when you're either already using it. So you've already, you know, launched the business or when you intend to use it. And currently the applications are almost 50-50 on people that do it before they start and people that have already started. Um, the only difference is, you know, in one, you're showing proof that you're already using it when you file. And the other time you're showing proof that you're using it during the application process. Um, but it is tough because you know, you kind of, you're, you have to put it out there before you can actually get the registered trademark. So then what if you have to rebrand? Um, so the best thing to do is have a lawyer do a comprehensive search before we actually file the application, because this is where they're going to, you know, it's much more extensive than a basic free search that you can do like on Google or on the trademark website. Um, we look in, you know, it uses algorithms, all stuff to figure out all things that are out there, both pending or registered, that could be problems. This way, when you do file, you have at least a little bit of like peace of mind, hopefully, that there's nothing already pending or registered that is like too high risk, meaning like your chances are not likely to get through. Um, so that's really the best thing because then you don't waste all the time and money putting more into your brand or filing for something that maybe is so high risk that you'd rather just change it now before you even start the process. What would you say to people that are, and maybe I'm, I'm speaking in the, in pretty much the startup phase when you're doing your original registrations, like with your state or local jurisdiction, I've talked to a lot of business owners who either are confused or don't think they're interested in more of a national scope. You, you think, uh, I'm in Texas, so our Secretary of State's office, there's a process you can check whether a, a, a likeness of your name, your company name, you want to use that. You know, they'll tell you whether or not the name is available to even register or if there's a likeness that's too close to the same thing and they'll disqualify it on that basis. How do you advise people to to go through that process and figure those things out? I typically tell people, of course, to check with your state, you know, to make sure you can even register it, um, whatever type of search that they have. Uh, but I also tell people to at least do a basic search on the trademark website, the USPTO.gov site, um, because even if you don't think that you might, you know, operate out of maybe your, your, you know, small location or your state even, you should still be checking this for not only in case you decide that you do want to expand in the future, but also for infringement purposes. You don't want to be starting something that someone already has a federal trademark for, um, and then, you know, you start business and you get hit with a cease and desist. So typically I recommend at the very least still doing that basic trademark search um, and kind of also thinking that, you know, it sometimes it's hard, I think, to think bigger when you're just starting out. Um, but I think that's something that everyone should kind of be thinking about if they do want to, you know, if their goal really is to have a business and not just starting a hobby or something, um, to kind of train yourself to start thinking about the bigger picture 
um, and the long-term, you know, impact of what you plan to build and kind of think with a more positive lens of like, okay, this is going to be something great. This is going to be something big. And I want to make sure I'm doing it right from the start. What are some of the combinations of challenges that business owners run into if if they haven't quite set it up properly and cleanly? You know, the uh, talk to us about the different kinds of challenges and and objections and restrictions they get hit with. Yeah, so I think the toughest part is you know legal is one of those things where it sounds overwhelming and expensive to do initially, but if you don't do it early and something happens, there's only so much that I can do to help you fix it at that point. And it's likely going to cause you more time, cost you more time, more money, and more stress at that point. So sometimes, you know, it's, that some things that we get hit with are season desist from other business owners. And then at that point, you have to try to rebrand. And especially if you're a product-based business, that might mean you lose all inventory and, you know, maybe a sign for a brick and mortar, like all these things that you then have to go back and redo and they become, then you're just paying for them again. Um, so that sometimes, you know, it's, it's contracts, um, people thinking that they don't need one or, you know, they're just working with a friend or they trust this person. And then later on something happens and realizing, oh, I should have had a contract. Um, so pretty much everything that most of the problems that business owners run into are things that could have been avoided if we handled them early and then we didn't. So then we have to try to figure out how what can we do best to like mitigate the hurt at this point um, as opposed to, you know, really like you can't prevent it sometimes when it's, you know, you haven't done these things. Uh, so that's why like I love talking to, you know, newer business owners and people in the earlier stages to try to, you know, help them not have to go through these issues later on. Yeah. Um, as you're describing all that, I'm, I'm reminded of, a, at least from my lens, it's a fairly famous uh, name dispute that happened and it involved Southwest Airlines. And are you familiar with that story? No, I'm not. So one of the three founders is the infamous Herb Kelleher, and Herb was a gregarious character anyway. I mean, he, he was a personality bigger than life and, you know, smart guy and good businessman. But um, so he and his partners created Southwest Airlines many, many years ago, back in the early 70s. And they were basically flying a triangle between Houston, San Antonio and Dallas, that was the original uh, routing of of the airline then he's of course gone global but um and herb's no longer with us but uh anyway several years into the run-up of the company he got hit with assistant cease and desist order for use of the name southwest and it was a little operator out of florida who had a little small private cargo airline his planes weren't any bigger than twin engines, so he never carried more than about 500 pounds at a trip. But he had been operating for decades. I mean, he was one of the early, early aviators. He probably knew Charles Lindbergh, you know. But um, anyway, he got his attorneys, and they hit Southwest with a cease and desist order. For, and here Herb is going, uh, no, I don't think so. And, you know, so there was this... 
there was a wrangling offline behind the scenes and all the attorneys were involved and they came to terms with her being able to buy the the rights which i'm sure is what that little carrier wanted in the first place he was you know get it get a payday out of it but herb being the showman that he was he, he said let's have some sport with this let's have some fun he said it's going to make news that we had this settlement he said why don't we turn it into an event and he said how about i box you for it so he set up a boxing ring with all the accoutrements and all this stuff and he shows up in a big limo with his silk robe and his you know red glowing gloves and all that stuff muhammad ali's style and you know he hops out of the limo and he's got an entourage of all the uh, flight attendants surrounding him and back in the day and it was totally inappropriate now but southwest stewardesses wore little hot pants and go-go boots and things like that and so that that's what they showed up in and this poor guy with the other airline was just a, a bubba sitting there in the corner of the <laughs> ring you know just he's in his box for shorts and you know but they make a whole video out of it and a whole big deal and and um it was all staged and the guy was going to knock out herb that was going to be the the, the punchline of the whole joke and uh, so anyway they go through this whole thing they make a big splash of it and the rest is history but um uh, that was some smart people having fun with a with a huge challenge and but again i know herb wrote a good size check to the guy for <laughs> getting the privilege to you know use the name mm -hmm. But the point being, it, it does happen, and there are legally binding challenges that can be put forth by the original owners. So, yeah, and that, that's a great way to turn it around into, you know, maybe bad press into good press for you. I love that story. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's buried somewhere on YouTube. You can still find the video of her showing up in his <laughs> limo with all these girls and, uh, uh, it it brings back fond memories for me because Herb was on our board at the bank where I worked for many years, and oh. getting getting to know him on a little more personal basis was a, a real privilege and an, a good opportunity in my career. But um, he he was a he was a funny guy and but smart. I mean I mean I I don't want to minimize how what a great visionary he was, mm -hmm. but. Um, Anyway, I digress. So, um, so come early, shop often, and uh, that's that's kind of the message, right? If for entrepreneurs, yes, definitely. So, as as the business unfolds and begins growing, what else can happen in the realm of intellectual property? Um. So you know, there's. There's a bunch of different things um, when it comes to intellectual property, you know, whether it is your trademark, whether it's a trademark for something else, um, or whether it's copyright, you know, something that is your work, um, especially now when it comes to, you know, online, it can be like your, even your social media stuff or your videos that you're putting out. Um, these are things, you know, that sometimes businesses run into problems with, with other people you know, copying them or taking their stuff. Um, or a lot of times it's you as the business doing it to someone else unknowingly because maybe you didn't realize, you know, you're sharing things 
um, as like part of your marketing. Um, and then you get hit with a cease and desist because you didn't realize you're using someone's audio or someone's image that you, you know, thought you could use or something like that. Um, so yeah, a lot of times it's just comes from things that you do that you didn't know that you couldn't do, which, you know, like as business owners, there's a million things to learn. So we, there's really no way to know absolutely everything to do and how to do everything perfectly. Um, but yeah, some of, those are some of the things that I find business owners face a lot. I, I'm intrigued by so many things that have developed in, in social media. And there are, um, uh, I've actually seen people selling training courses on how to copy YouTube videos and put them up on TikTok so that you can expand your channel and, and grow your business. And I'm like, but you're ripping people off. That's not your original work, you know, and, and I, I just haven't spent any time digging into the real, you know, ramifications of that, but it's, it's prevalent. I mean, it's. Yeah. And it, people there. do it a lot. And actually, <laughs> um, so I, I do use TikTok for my marketing and, you know, there's tons of people that they, they don't like copyright laws. They don't, they don't agree with it. They don't think that like, just because it, you posted it, you should get to use it. They think you posted it online. So now I can take it. And someone actually downloaded one of my videos, put a crying filter on my face and reposted it. <laughs> um, okay. And they're like, watch me take your video now. Um, see, I can do whatever I want. And I'm like, oh my God. Um, it was actually kind of funny though with, with the filter on it, but you know, and then the video had like all these comments, people saying like, haha, like see anything you post on social media, like it's not yours, it can be mine now. Um, I mean, you know, it lasted for a day because then I reported it for copyright infringement and got it taken down. But there's just a lot of people that don't think that copyright law should exist or, you know, have consequences. And of course, you know, I'm not going to sue them for it because that would be a waste of my time and money. But the thing is, I could if I wanted to. I, well, I know for decades, the, the film and music industry have really been struggling with this, with, you know, pirated early releases, mm -hmm. pirated original tracks um, being reproduced and, and published and all kinds of locations and channels and so forth. And it's just, uh, I, I know there are no disrespect to attorney friends, but I know there's attorneys that make full-time living, you know, pursuing those things and trying to get them taken down and shut down and penalized. Yeah. Yep. Same thing with like, yeah, photographers, um, you know, images of celebrities and stuff like that too. Yeah. Yeah. And there are so many. It, it, it is very confusing, these sites that offer up graphic images. Um, you know, a lot of times they'll say, well, here's all our free images, royalty free, but now here's ones you have to pay for to, to license the use of it. And even then, I think it's potentially a challenge because the guy that posted it claimed it as original work really wasn't original in, at all. And, and, you know, it's... yeah, I see that a lot too. Um, you know, people buying things that they think they are 
businesses buying things, thinking that they're buying it the right way, you know, to use for whatever it is like fabric or images or anything. And then they find out like the person that they got it from didn't actually have the rights to it. And now they're hit with like a cease and desist or a lawsuit or something. Um, so it's really hard because, you know, you're trying to even do it the right way sometimes too, and you still get screwed over. Right. Right. Well, I would I would like to shift gears a little bit and bring up the topic of AI. There's a um, uh, there's obviously a sensitivity to the exponential growth of the uh, how AI is permeating our world, and when it comes to creator um, rights and and privileges, as in, for instance, book writers. If if you know if I want to be an author and I turn to one of the AI platforms to to maybe help me shape some ideas and things, if I if I choose to use some of that content, where do I really stand on intellectual property? You know, it can be kind of tough when it comes to that because I don't think we fully know what the answer is yet. Um, you know, I I did see that there have been some some people, you know, bringing lawsuits about this. So I think it'll be interesting to see because there's there's different arguments for, you know, who owns these things that come out of the AI. But I think because we don't exactly always know where the AI is pulling this from. So it could be pulling it from one source, you know, or like a couple sources, but maybe this portion is mostly from something else that's already owned by someone else but then also maybe like sometimes it's pulling like 0.01% from you know tons of different sources um and then obviously you know it's not clear like okay it came from someone else's copyrighted work so i think the answer really is like it depends we don't really know what's going to happen yet because and that's why i think it's also people should be kind of cautious when using AI because we don't really know. You don't really know exactly, like, are you going to get in trouble for it, finding out that it's actually someone else's copyrighted work? And I don't know. It really depends on, you know, the algorithms and stuff and how they do it. And do they do it the same way every single time? Or is there a case where sometimes it is more directly copied from some other source? Um, so, you know, that's kind of like the the, you know, cautionary thing, like you have to be cautious of using it when you don't know if it is potentially someone else's work. And then you'll get hit with this season to desist, you know, if you take it and put it on your blog, and then someone else finds out that realizes that, you know, it was actually from their like movie script or their blog or something. Um, so I think that's, we're going to see some interesting, interesting cases, I think. Well, and as as I know the law community, the the real ultimate evolution of this thing is there will be case law and precedents set in the court systems, and and that will shape the future of the body of law relative to this issue. And be, because it is so new, it, it's a little bit like the the proverbial wild west. It, it's just there is no law, and everybody's running after it and and chasing these things and taking advantage of whatever they can for the moment. 
But eventually some laws will get, um, they will become statutes and, and we will have guidance and direction on how to do it. And if you want to be a ethical you know, follow the law kind of business person, then you might have to change what you've been doing. Yeah, I think that, you know, may, may, it might be helpful, you know, when you're like coming up with ideas for things, you know, like, okay, give me uh, 10 ideas for blog posts for a trademark lawyer or, you know, something that like you're then taking that and then creating your own work from it. Um, but when you're taking word for word from there, I think, you know, at least me personally, I don't want to be the one to set the case law of like, oh, it's actually copyright infringement. And you're the one, you know, that everyone else is now going to follow the law from. Um, so, I mean, someone's going to be that person probably, but we'll see. I don't want it to be me or hopefully none <laughs> of my clients. So, Well, so shifting gears yet another direction is um, what are some of the basic best practices just from a legal perspective to help a business owner frame up and operate in a way that secures them, protects them, and and keeps them in kind of a straight and narrow? Yeah. So I think I always recommend, you know, when you're starting, I think one of the best things you can do is have a consultation with a lawyer to kind of set up like a roadmap of what you need to do, what legal priorities, because what one business might need to do, you know, another business might have a completely different order of like the legal stuff that they need to do because different businesses have different needs. So I think doing that in the beginning can kind of help you be like, oh, okay, I need to do, you know, maybe for one business, it's I need to get a client contract first and then my LLC and then trademark this and then trademark that, you know, whatever it is. Um, so I think doing that in the beginning is really going to help you establish like your priorities of where you need to spend money and when what you need to budget for and when, um, which I think, you know, a lot of business owners are just like, oh, it's it's expensive. The legal is expensive, scary. Don't want to talk about it. Don't want anything to do with it. So I'm just going to put it all off completely. And then that is where they, you know, have to end up spending more time, money and stress later on. So doing that in the beginning can kind of help you like be like, okay, I don't have to do it all at once but I can do it in the right order to really, you know, set myself and my business up for the most success. I think um, a, a lot of people, or at least I'll say it this way, from my perspective, there has been an evolution or, or a growing awareness of the entrepreneur community. And I think most people that think about starting a business know something about the value of creating an LLC at a minimum, I'm, I'm just saying for baseline, mm -hmm. they get the concept that if I create an LLC, then my personal life and my business life are separated and I'm, I've got some level of protection. But there are a lot of caveats to that. And, and there's a lot of basic practices that have to be followed to be sure that that is enforceable so what are some of those traps that people do when they go that way? Yes. So the first thing that you should be doing once you get your LLC is you can get an EIN from the IRS. It's free. It's like a social security number for your business. And you can take that EIN and open up a business bank account with it. And then keep all of your income your business income, business expenses, separate from your personal income and expenses. This is the biggest thing because people, you know, 
most people do, or a lot of people do know, okay, I should get, I have a business, I should get an LLC, but then they don't realize that they have to keep everything separate because if you don't, you know, like you're paying a subscription from your personal for your business or vice versa. And then, you know, I always say like, when you get your LLC, you're putting a door between you and your business. And if you have your income and expenses for personal and business, not exactly separated by that door, then you're leaving that door open. And what happens is then if you have a creditor or a debtor or something like that for your business, you know, something goes wrong, they can come through that door from your LLC through to your personal and potentially have access to your house, your car, your bank accounts, your investment accounts, all these things. So that is really like, yes, have the LLC, but only if you're going to actually use it properly, because if you're not, then there's really no point in having it. So that is one of the biggest things. And then another thing too is contracts um, that you might sign for your business. Make sure to put the, the party to the contract should be your LLC name, not your personal name. I see a lot of people signing contracts for, you know, like maybe their marketing agency or something else, someone that they're hiring in their business. I see them signing it personally. And then again, you're kind of opening that door between you and your LLC and you want to make sure to keep that closed. Yeah. Yeah. Very important. And I, I, I agree with you. I, I see a lot of small business owners that easily get those things co-mingled. And, and sometimes it's not just the bank account, but it's the credit card. It's the yes. personal credit card that they decide to use to float a big ticket expense over in the business. And Again, I I like your idea of the open door. Um, back in the day, an attorney friend called it piercing the veil. Yes. <laughs> um, and and but the point is, you you compromise the protection that the LLC is intended to provide by opening those back doors and escape hatches by commingling fund management. Yes. Yeah. So that's a that's a tricky challenge. I, any other elements related to the LLC that come to mind? Um, typically, I always tell people like if you are not opening the LLC by yourself, so you're not going to be a single member LLC. You have you know other members that you're doing it with. Um, I think that the best thing that you should you can do is to have a lawyer help you with it because. You should have some type of agreement with these other people that you're starting with because you want to make sure that, you know, everything is written, signed in a contract um, because I see so many people start a business with their friend, their sister, their person that they met, that they trust. And then, you know, a year, two years, five years, 10 years later, something goes wrong and it's like, well, who owns what or what happens now that one person wants to leave and all these things. And those will be accounted for in that contract that you have that lawyer draft when you start. Um, you never want to think about, you know, things going wrong, but that's what we're here for. We think of all the things that can go wrong for you. Um, so just get that for the peace of mind. I, I can, as you were saying that, I can think of several examples of husband and wife teams that started a business together in three years, five years, 10 years down the road. They don't want to be married anymore. They, they, they want to file divorce. And then the business is just in a shambles. Um, mm -hmm. I, I know of one case, and I'm not going to give enough details to reveal the identities, but 
they got a divorce, but the wife stayed on as the office manager and, and the husband was coming in, doing the work and providing everything. And, and she kept asking for more and more and more and more. And they had their divorce settlement, you know, document over here, but they were still the business that hadn't really gotten cleaned up nicely. And he ended up just having to basically decide to shut it down and walk away and say, guess what? You know, you keep bleeding me here through this business door. I'm, I'm done. I'm just going to shut it all down and, you know, that won't yeah. happen anymore. And it's like, oof, you know. It's tough. You never want to think about what could happen if things go south. But when it does, you're going to wish that you, you know, handled it earlier. It had done a little bit of uh, different work. Yeah. Um, well, if I may, Kelly, and if, if you don't want to answer this, we can we can uh, deal with it. But um, the other, I guess I'll call it level of maturity that comes up, you got the LLCs, but then what's this thing called a, a sub S corporation? Oh, so um, a lot of people talk about S corps and, you know, I see it all the time. Don't get an LLC, get an S corp. But what the thing is, an S-Corp is actually a tax election with the IRS. So you can elect to be taxed. So let's, you know, you, you can't, if you have an LLC, then you maybe you started as an LLC, which typically the way that you're taxed is the same as a sole proprietor. It just passes through your personal income, your personal taxes. Um, but if you want to, you know, you're making more money in your business. You hear about the S-Corp. People are talking about it. Oh, get an S-Corp. It'll save you money. You make that S-Corp election with the IRS. It can potentially save you money. It's not necessarily a different business entity, though. You still have your LLC, um, but you can potentially save on taxes. But the thing with the S-Corp, I always tell people, go to your CPA, have them tell you if an S-Corp is actually worth it because you have to be making enough in profit to pay yourself a reasonable salary. So essentially you're putting yourself on payroll as a W-2 employee. You're paying yourself a reasonable salary, reasonable quotes as like per the IRS, not what you think is reasonable. Uh, and then you're making still profit on top of that. So, you know, someone who is like, let's say you are, you know, a financial professional, like, you know, investment banker, whatever, Verse like someone that is maybe making some jewelry, the IRS is probably going to think that those two reasonable salaries are different. So you can't just pay yourself like a thousand dollars a month and be like, oh, that's my reasonable salary. And now I can be an S Corp and save all this money because the IRS might be like, well, that's not reasonable for like an investment banker or something, you know, or a lawyer or a CPA. Um, you should be paying yourself more. So then it might actually end up costing you money with like payroll fees and other taxes. Um, so I always say go to a CPA and have them tell you if it's actually right instead of listening to like Facebook comments telling you <laughs> that you need to get an S-Corp right away. Right, right. <clears throat> or the guys that say I'm not actually an attorney, but I played one on TV. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, I, I think that is the the word of caution here for anybody that's listening. You you can get easily 
inundated with a lot of data points and, you know, people well-meaning that participate in these online communities, these chat rooms and things that are going on about this stuff. I think the bottom line, and I, I too can't stress it enough, you know, you need to talk to a qualified professional. Things about accounting, things about legal matters, find a CPA, find a lawyer that, that has the training and the right skill set to speak to these things properly. And really, if you're going to go beyond operating a, a hobby for profit, you, you really need to seriously think about finding an attorney and finding a CPA that you can make part of your team. You may not have to pay them a lot because you're only going to get some basic advice and consult from them, but you need to have them there. They need to know your business and know what you're doing and have that discussion so they can help identify the pitfalls and the challenges you might run into. Yes, absolutely. So important. And I always tell my business clients uh, right up front, and it's actually written in one of my agreements, you know, I am not the one providing that advice. We may talk about those subjects, but before you make any decisions on those matters, you better go talk to those guys, not me. <laughs> yes, yes, definitely. <laughs> And, uh, you know, I've been around it enough. And as an old banker, I, I know a lot of this stuff in general. And um, I, I have been accused of being an attorney more than once. I, I've been involved in some pretty big negotiations. And I've had attorneys for the opposing side come to me during the break and say, where'd you go to law school? Where'd you? you know, and I'm going, <laughs> I didn't, you know, just been around this stuff enough to know. And but again, I'm I'm not encouraging anybody to take my final answer as gospel because they need the professional opinion mm -hmm. to go with it. So my my legal opinion in a, in a couple of bucks will buy you a Starbucks and that's all it's worth. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, Kelly, I tell you what, this has been great. And thank you for hopping in and sharing with us. If, if people do want to get a hold of you, how, how do they do that? Yeah, so they can either check out my website. It's lawyerkelly, kelly with an I, dot com, um, or you can find me on Instagram. It's where I'm probably most active, uh, lawyerkelly with an I underscore. Great, great. Well, again, thank you for sitting in and helping us. And folks, I hope this has been a help to you and to understand some of the modern day challenges of, of starting a business and running a business. And with that, we're going to sign off, say goodbye and wish you the best. Thanks so much for having me. You've been listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense, hosted by Doug Thorpe. If you would like to know more about the coaching and advisory services he provides, visit DougThorpe.com.